0: you're listening to city church manchester we are a church that invites everyone to enjoy christ for the glory of god if we can serve you in any way then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more yeah uh, the, the bible reading today is matthew chapter 9 verses 35 uh, to 38 so nice short one today um so while you turn there, it's page 974 on the Blue Church Bibles, and the reading will be on the screen behind me. That's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and following. And it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Say hello. My name is Ralph, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sissy. And my job today is to, to open up that passage that Pete had just read for us. Before I do, though, let us bow our heads and let us pray together. Father God, thank you that we do get to be here this afternoon. It's easy to take it for granted, yet we know there are many, many Christians around the world who do not have the freedom to meet and to sit under your word like we do today. And Lord, we, we long to make the most of what you have given us. We long to be good stewards of the resources you have handed to us. We long to be those who are found faithful when we stand before you on the last day. So Lord, help us. Help us, Jesus, to hear your heart this afternoon. And help us to want to pray the prayers that you would have us pray and want to live the lives that you would have us live. For your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, Well, our emotions reveal how much we care about something don't they? Our emotions show how much we care about something. Uh, So on Wednesday of this last week, my daughter Sophie finished her GCSEs. Woo! Exactly. It was like the whole family breathed this collective sigh of relief, and you could hear the kind of whoops of joy down the street. Sophie had spent years studying for her GCSE. She spent hour upon hour revising, and finally it was done. Yes! We're emotional. Just a couple of weeks uh, before that, uh, my sons, uh, Zach and Jacob and I, we were very emotional. In fact, we, we were sat on the very edge of our sofas, glued to the TV set, watching City play Inter in the Champions League final. And when, in, uh, when City scored that, that winning goal, we were yes, they've done it. Literally a decade of supporting and cheering on city on rainy Etihad nights had reached its culmination in the great victory and the Champions League going to the best side in the city of Manchester. Your emotions are now revealing what you care about as well. Our emotions reveal what we care about. They reveal what our hearts are invested into. So what do they reveal about your heart this afternoon? What makes you really, really sad? What for you, if if it was taken away, would make you feel like your life just wasn't worth living? Or or, or let me put it the other way, what what brings you joy? What, if if you get it, do you find your, your face just lighting up and a big smile coming across it because you've got that thing? What is that for you? Well, that's what you love. That's what you have invested your heart into. And today, I'd like us to ask that question of Jesus. What did Jesus invest his heart into? Uh, This is the third and final Talk in Our Vision and Impact series. Like Matt said, we we started off two weeks ago looking at intimacy, looking at what it means to go deeper with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Then last week, we thought about invitation. The invitation we received from the the good shepherd, Jesus, the, the one who left the 99 sheep behind in order to go and seek out the one lost sheep. This week, we're thinking about our third eye, the eye of investment. And I've got three points for us today. Invest your hearts, your prayers, and your life. Just turn back and look with me at the passage that Pete read just now. We're in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew has set out, first of all, Jesus' authority in his teaching. That was chapters 4 through to 7. Then we saw Jesus' authority in his actions. That's chapters 8 and 9. And then in chapters 9 and 10, Jesus turns from showing his own authority to showing his disciples what he expects them to do. And we join him. Verse 35 as he tours the towns and villages of Galilee. And look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder, did you see the the, the news item? I I think it was last week, uh, about... Uh, The famous Scottish footballer Graham Souness, did anyone see that? The the news that he had swum across the channel, and and he did it because he wanted to raise one million pounds for a charity that was looking to care for people with a condition called butterfly skin, a really, really nasty skin condition. And um, after he'd uh, swum this, he was in a BBC News interview. He sat on the BBC Red Sofa, and he shared why he was supporting the charity. And sat alongside him was this 14-year-old girl called Isla Grist. And soon as we sat there, and he looked at Isla. And fighting back tears, he spoke about his friendship with little Isla. And he spoke about how it was the cruelest nastiest disease he had ever come across he, he could barely get the words out, he was choking up so much, he was in pieces what he'd seen in little Isla Gris life it, it impacted soon soonest the hard man of soccer to his very core now That's starting, that's just starting to get close to what the word translated compassion in verse 36 means. That word is used a number of times in the gospel accounts. It is only ever used to describe Jesus' emotions. You see, the compassion of verse 36, it wasn't merely mental assent. Seeing the crowd and thinking, oh, That's sad. Nor was it simply passing concern like we experience when we see the the Oxfam ads on the TV. No, Jesus here in verse 36, he's viscerally moved. He's visibly shaken. He he is taken to to the innermost being and he feels like he needs to do something. Why? Well, because... He saw the crowd, and they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, there's a conceptual problem for us in reading this verse, because when we hear sheep and shepherd, we think about the kind of children's storybooks that we all read when we were young, of, you know, this, this nice little cuddly sheep, and a, a mild-mannered, soft-fingered shepherd just kind of stroking the little lamb in his arms. And, and that's what we think of. But that is completely the wrong image, Shepherds, they were the hard men of the first century Near East. They were more like Ray Winston than like Alla Jones. Their job was to fight off wolves, to fight off wild dogs if they came and tried to attack the flock. Then they were to make sure that the sheep were fed and watered and safe, which meant that when they didn't do their job... The sheep were harassed and helpless. That word harassed, it literally means that they were flayed. Flayed. Torn to pieces. You you see, that, that is what happens when a sheep is left without a shepherd. They get flayed by wolves and wild dogs. And they are helpless. More literally, that word helpless means that they are thrown down. They're wounded. They're stricken. They are left at the mercy of the elements and predators. Now, can you see how that picture applies equally to our own day? If you were here last month, uh, you might remember that I took us through John chapter 10. And we looked at what it meant for Jesus to be the good shepherd. And in verse 14 of that chapter, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. People in our city, they are longing, they are just longing to be known. Some are looking for that sense of identity in their jobs. They want to prove that they're someone, that they matter. Some people are looking for that identity, that being known in the arms of a lover. They want someone to know and love them for who they are. Others in our city, they're seeking that being known through Eastern mysticism or through simply trying to to do good and be a respectable person. They hope that they will find recognition and fulfillment, the fulfillment they crave, knowing and being known, because they understand Buddhism. But you know, all of those things will fail them. Worse than that, those things will flay them. If we seek fulfillment through our studies or through our work, then we're going to drive ourselves into the ground through overwork. We're going to neglect and lose the relationships that matter most to us because we put our work first. If we look for recognition, if we look to be known by our partner or our spouse, then we're going to crush them with the weight of our expectations. And they will inevitably inevitably let us down. If we put our hope in another religion, or in seeking to be enlightened, to be woke, those things will promise the world, but they will deliver misery to us. In the words of verse 37, they will throw us down, They will leave us helpless before the judgment seat of God. The judgment that each of us deserves for our rebellion. Do you know that? My friend, if you are looking for fulfillment in those things, do you realize that they will flay you and they will throw you down before God's judgment? My Christian friends, when when you look out of your window, when you look around the classroom at school, when you look around the office at work, do you care? Do you care at what you see? Uh, Dwight Moody was an American evangelist in the 19th century, and he, he visited London on one of his evangelistic tours, uh, and he was staying in a hotel, and the, the story goes that he was visited in that hotel by a group of English clergymen, they were all very respectable English clergymen, wearing you know, their clergy, clerical gear, and um, they, they were interested, they, they wanted to understand why Dwight Moody had seemed to be so successful, even though he was a relatively uneducated American. So Moody took the men, took three of them, and over to the window of his hotel room, and he said, look out of that window and tell me what you see. One of them looked out, and he said, well, Mr. Moody, I... I see these people, and I can see there are lots of different classes, lots of different backgrounds, upper class, middle class, working class. Another one looked out of the window and said, oh, well, it was very interesting. I can see that they're coming from that sort of worldview, and then this person's probably coming from that sort of worldview." Then Moody himself looked out of the window, tears rolling down his cheek. And the third man said, Mr. Moody, what do you see? He said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find their Savior. What do you see as you look out to the city of Manchester? We are a city of 2.8 million people, where less than 4% attend church. That's any sort of church, Protestant, Catholic, liberal, anything. You know, that means in our city, 2.5 million people are heading to an eternity of hell. 96% 96% of your workplace tomorrow morning, they're not experiencing the joy they were made for, and one day will experience the most horrific, horrific eternity. Does that make you weep? Does that cut you to the very heart of your being? Will you invest your heart in the people of this city? Secondly, will you invest your prayers? Look at verse 37 with me. Verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field." Jesus switches the metaphor here. He moves from describing a lack. The people are like sheep who lack a shepherd. And he starts to talk about an abundance. The abundance of the harvest that is plentiful. Jesus is referring to the harvest of God's kingdom. Those God is bringing to himself for salvation. And Jesus tells the disciples to pray. Hmm. He tells them to pray. Does that strike you as odd? I suspect most of us, myself included, are city folk here. Uh, We grew up in cities, that's what we know. And that makes this metaphor a little bit difficult for us to appreciate. But if you grew up in the countryside, or if recently you've been engrossed in watching Clarkson's Farm, you might better understand this metaphor. You see what what happens at harvest time? You you watch Clark. Who's watched Clarkson's Farm? Give me a nod if you watch Clarkson's Farm. Yes. You watch Clarkson's Farm. What happens when when harvest happens? Okay? It is suddenly ready to be brought in, the harvest. And then the moment, the moment it happens, there is a mad rush to bring in the harvest as quickly as possible. Loads of people brought in. They will work 36 hours straight just to bring in the harvest before the rains come and ruin it. It's urgent. But what does Jesus say here? Verse 37 the harvest is plentiful. Go! No. The harvest is plentiful. Ask. Pray. Why? Well, I think prayer shows us two things. Firstly, prayer shows us what we care about, what we love. I mean, that's true, isn't it? I think about the things that I pray about. I pray about my health. I pray about my wife Anna. I pray about my kids. I pray about my friends. I pray about City Church. I pray about those things because I love those things. So Jesus says... Invest your prayers in my kingdom harvest. Do you see how this second point is linked to the first point? We pray for what we have invested our hearts in, and we invest our hearts in what we pray for. I wonder, do you not believe me on that? Well, if you're struggling to believe me on that, can I set you a challenge for this week? Okay? Just for one week, just for one week, can you do this for me? Every day this week, I would like you to pray for one non-Christian friend or colleague you have, that you would have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. And I'd like you to pray for City Church, that we would be able to raise sufficient funds to employ someone to help us in our outreach online. I'd like you to pray for those two things every day for the next week and then I'd like you to come up and chat to me after service next Sunday and tell me whether those things have been more on your heart this week than they were the previous week. We pray for what we love and we love what we pray for. So invest your prayers. secondly, Prayer shows us, and this is just as important, prayer shows us what we depend upon God for. You know, everyone prays. Everyone prays. Even even atheists pray. When the cancer diagnosis comes in, when your child is there on a ventilator, everyone cries out, help to the great unknown. We pray when we realize that we can't. Prayer expresses our need, it expresses our dependence. And you see, that is why Jesus tells his disciples to pray before he tells them to go. I, I love City Church, I, I love this church. It is incredible what God has done in and through this church over the past nine years. Matt's already shared some of it. The, the 50 baptism point that we reached last Sunday. Do you know, we, we sent out 10 members of staff to serve on other church staff teams. We've trained up 25 interns here at City Church. As Pete said, we, we sent out a team to plant Trinity Church in North Manchester. Uh, just three years ago. We've helped another three church plants to get started in the city. We've even helped start a movement for the planting of churches throughout the city called the Northern Gospel Project. It's it's incredible. It's incredible what God has done. But sometimes I worry. I worry that we're too activist. Uh, Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that activity is a bad thing. Activity for the Lord is a very good thing. But if activity is not matched by prayer, you know what our activity is saying? It's saying, we've got this, God. We, we can build your church. We can reach this city. In fact, God, you're, you're pretty fortunate to have City Church on your team in this one. Friends, prayerlessness is blasphemy. It's a denial of who God is. And you know, prayerlessness is anti gospel as well. The gospel says, We we can't, but you can. We we can't save ourselves. We are dead in our sin. There is nothing that we can do. But what we cannot do, God, you can and have done for us. Prayerlessness is the inversion of that. It's we've got this, God. Don't you worry. So, brothers and sisters, invest your prayers. My prayer, my prayer for City Church over the next 12 months is that we would radically increase the prayer temperature in this church. If you have ideas about how that can happen, if you would like to help that happen, then please, after service, come and see me. I really want to hear from you. Because we need to invest our prayers as a church. And then, thirdly, we need to invest our lives. Jesus has compassion on the crowds, his heart is invested. Then he tells his disciples to pray, invest your prayers. And then thirdly, he tells them to go, invest your life. You know, very often we, we are the answer to our own prayers. So do you want to stop looking at pornography? Well, we'll pray, pray. Pray, and then flee from lust, install covenant eyes on your computer, get rid of your smart thing. Do you want to be content in your job, even though you find it really mundane and boring? Well, pray, pray. And then from tomorrow onwards, make sure that you regularly give thanks throughout your day, even for the most mundane things in your job. Do you want to see the 2.5 million people hurtling towards an eternity in hell reach with the good news of Jesus in this city? We'll pray. But then go. Tell them. If you are here today and you are a Christian, then you yourself are the very answer to the prayer that Jesus tells you to pray today in verse 38. Chapter 10 follows straight on from chapter 9. Jesus urges his disciples to pray, and then he sends out the 12. And I want us to notice four things about this sending of the twelve. Firstly, firstly, it wasn't just the twelve. Okay? It wasn't just the twelve who were the answer to Jesus' prayer. In the other gospel accounts, we're told that 72 people. Was sent out by Jesus to go and take out the gospel. There was no clergy, laity divide in Jesus' sending. Every believer, without exception, every believer is called on to be a worker in God's harvest field, to take out the message of Jesus, and then bring in the harvest of people who are responding for salvation. So that's point one. It's everyone. Every believer. Point two... Notice how the workers here were very ordinary. The Twelve, they weren't a bunch of intellectuals. Many of them were fishermen. The 21st century equivalent of fishermen, I guess, is probably a shelf stacker at Tesco's. One of them was a tax collector. That was a despised profession in the first century. What the world sees as despised and useless, God sees as useful. For his purposes. For it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your qualifications, your education, your background is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You are useful to God. You are needed in God's harvest field. Thirdly, notice how everyone here contributed something different. Uh, The 12 went out, they went to different places, preaching the gospel and healing the sick. But there were others who went out in different ways. So we're told that there were a group of women who accompanied Jesus and the disciples on their tours, providing for their, their needs as they went. You know, some of us here today will be called to go. Some of us here today will be called to go when we plant a church in Lagos or in Abu Dhabi. Some of us will be called to go when we plant a church in Cheatham Hill or Worsley. And you know, some of us will be called to stay here, to invest our whole lives in City Church's vision to be the ones bringing the harvest in the center of Manchester. Some of us will be called on to invest our life through our financial resources, through working as hard as we can, to earn as much as we can, to give as much as we can, to enable the harvest field to be brought in. Others of us will be called to invest our time and our talent resources for the sake of the kingdom harvest but all of us if we're Christians all of us without exception we are called on to invest in God's great harvest and finally notice how the disciples invested their lives in teams it doesn't say so here in Matthew's gospel but in in Mark and Luke we're told that when Jesus sent out the 12 he sent them in pairs in teams So will you invest your life in the team that goes out to plant our next church? Will you invest your life in the welcome team here at City Church to welcome in newcomers to Manchester? Will you invest your life, even as a single person, into the mother-father units in City Church to, to help those parents see their children brought up in the good news of the gospel? will you invest your life if you work on deansgate in an office there will you invest your life with the other members of city church who are working in deansgate to be a team to reach the business workers of manchester will you invest your life the intimacy we experience with god through jesus death and resurrection it leads us to invite others to experience that same thing for themselves And it leads us to invest our lives, to give our lives away, our time, talent, and treasure. To introduce others to the one who, for our sake, became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now, isn't that a vision worth investing your heart, your prayers and your life in. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that for our sakes, you became poor so that through your poverty, we might become rich. Thank you for your heart. Would you give us a heart after your own heart? Would we long for the things you long for? Would we pray, depending day by day upon you and your grace, and then would we give our lives away in serving the call of your kingdom? For your glory's sake. Amen.